We talked this morning about watching and the presence of God and, and Him being with us and, and being ready for His coming. And Psalm 139 is a passage about not being able to escape from God. Even, even when you try, He never gives up on you. And I look up at this picture with Jesus and the lost sheep uh, that he went after. And I, I'll always remember what Brother Chess would say about that. Um, anytime he talked about that passage, he said that the sheep whispered in Jesus' ear, I knew you would come. And that's what he does for us. He never gives up, even when we're running away from him. Psalm 139 Verses 7 through 12 is a famous passage that David wrote. And you know David's history. It was not stellar. There were times when he tried to flee from God's presence. And um, God never gave up on him and David never gave up on God. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol... Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, let only darkness cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with thee. And it goes on and on about how his being formed and his mother's in the innermost parts and how even God knew him then. Wherever he was, whoever he was, whenever he was, God was there. And he's there for us this evening, particularly in the observance of the Lord's Supper. Let's bow together. We thank you for preparing it for us with the broken body and shed blood that our Lord made on the cross. We pray that we would sense your presence and it would renew us and cleanse us and empower us to be your people in the world today. Strengthen us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when Adam and Eve fled and tried to hide from God in the Garden of Eden, God could have thrown up his hands and said, okay, have it your way. They had done the one thing, the, the only thing that he had told them not to do. And aren't we just like that? Your parents tell you you can do anything but that. What are you going to do? You're going to do that very thing. Don't cross that line and you're going to stick your toe over it just to see what's going to happen. They had sinned and God could have given up on Adam and Eve because of their sin. But still he came seeking and searching and asking, Adam, Adam, where are you? And that's not a, a question of location. He didn't need God, he didn't need Adam to tell him where he was because God knew precisely where Adam was physically. You can't hide from God. What God wanted Adam to do was to take responsibility for his actions, to admit his sin and say, here I am God and this is what I have done. Adam, Eve, where are you in your hearts? Jesus said of himself, the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. And you and I are lost. And right after that, he went on to explain what he meant by being lost, by telling three parables, one after another in Luke chapter 15, 
that parallel one another. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which we call the prodigal son. Each of these three parables has the same message. Our God is in the God is in the business of seeking and looking for that which is lost, whatever it is, whatever it is. I knew you would come. Without him, we're lost in sin, but we didn't know it. The Lord's presence is inescapable. There's no place you can run and hide and escape from it. There's a story of Jonah in the Old Testament, the prophet who only wanted to preach to his own people, to his own kind. And he was resentful that God loved everybody. He was resentful of God's love for other people and other nations and other languages. And when the Lord called him to go and prophesy in Nineveh, he did not want to go, not because he was afraid of failure. Jonah didn't want to go because he was afraid of success. Jonah didn't want things to go well there. And if he preached and they repented and God would would spare the people and forgive the people of Nineveh, that was something Jonah didn't want. And so he didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh. He didn't want to see that happen. He would rather them get blasted. So in an effort to escape the call of God to go and preach in Nineveh, Jonah hopped a ship to Spain, which was the far western end of the Mediterranean world. It was as far west as they could go. And the word, incidentally, the, the, Medi- the word Mediterranean in Latin means meta, middle, terrain of the land. They thought the Mediterranean Sea was the middle of the land. It was the middle of their, lo- their known world. And so Spain was on the far western end of the Mediterranean Sea. It was as far as you could go because they didn't know about anything further. And it was as far as you could run from God. And as we all know, his escape was interrupted by a great fish. He learned that God cares for all people, all nations, not just for us. And so there's also the gospel of second chances when it comes to Jonah. Because when he repented and prayed, he was forgiven and given another opportunity to do what God called him to do in the first place. So eventually Jonah did go to Nineveh and preach and his message was received And the greatest lesson for Jonah is that God's presence is inescapable. There's no place you can go to escape it. When we look at Psalm 139, the presence, David says, is as real on earth as it is in heaven, as it is even in Sheol, where the dead reside. He says, if I take the wings of mourning in verse 9, which means even if I get up at the crack of dawn and try to sneak out before God gets up, and run from him, he's still there. If he dwells in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, his right hand shall hold him. There's no place you can go. I remember in seminary, there was a, a guy there who was ex-military. He felt the, God of, the call of God to preach when he was a young man, but he was not interested in preaching. So he joined the U.S. Navy. It's kind of like Jonah. Try to see how far he could run from God. It didn't work. To his amazement, the presence of God was just as strong on the other side of the world as it was in the United States, and the sense of call was just as insistent. And finally, he affirmed God's claim upon his life and became a minister. I used to hear people say surrendering to the call of God, like 
you're kicking and screaming, but I prefer saying affirming the call of God because it's a positive call and it's nothing to fear. The psalmist concludes by saying that even darkness is not dark to God because God doesn't need light to see. He can see in pitch black darkness. You remember, I remember reading stories about the Gulf War and Operation Enduring Freedom and how we won that with limited losses because we had such advanced technology. We had infrared radar, sensing devices that enabled our planes to fly at night and bomb targets with precision. The Iraqis could only shoot up into the night sky at random and hope to hit something by chance. Smart bombs could see at night. They could not. Darkness is no cover to God. He sees not only by physical sight, but by his infrared radar of love. It pierces every shadow. It's zeroed in and targeted on our hearts. We may go through dark days of doubt and failure and guilt and grief, but the Heavenly Father is always with us. And we can count on his presence and his help, even when we deserve it the least. He's still there. Saul tried to evade it, and it says he literally kicked against the goads, which means the, the barbs in the back of a, a yoke that keep oxen from kicking against it, pulling against the harness. Saul tried. Eventually, he too had to face the Lord and faith's claim on his life. And Saul became the missionary Paul and took the gospel that Jesus had begun to the world. When I think about trying to escape from God, I can't help but think about a poem that a man named Francis Thompson wrote in the late 19th century. He ran from the Lord and his calling. He was a religious man. He grew up in a Christian home. He even studied for the ministry. But giving up on that, he studied for medicine. He failed that. He sank to rock bottom. He became addicted to drugs. And Francis Thompson came to the point where he had absolutely nothing left except a love of poetry. A publisher happened upon him one day in a pathetic condition. Thompson had become a ragged beggar. He had no shirt on his back, no shoes on his feet. And the publisher rescued Thompson, whose emotions began to spill over into poetry. And it was at this time that he wrote his most famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. It's a 182-line poem, and I'm not going to read it all. It's in Victorian language, and so it's kind of hard to understand. But I think the sense of what Thompson felt trying to run from God is something we can all identify with. He says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter, up vistaed hopes I sped and shot precipitated and down titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed, followed after me with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. Deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat in a voice beat more instant than the feet all things betray thee that betrayest me. How little worthy of any love, he says, thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love thee? Save me, save only me. 
All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harm, but that you might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies it lost, I have stored for thee at home. So rise, clasp my hand, and come. Francis Thompson learned that the Lord's presence was unavoidable, it was inescapable. Because God pursues us not like a bloodhound, but more like a sheepdog, hurting and helping us find our way. He pursues us not like a Canadian Mountie who always gets his man or a bounty hunter, but he pursues us with love, calling us in faith to follow his lead. And so the Lord's presence is here with us this evening. Adam and Eve learned it in the garden, even though they tried to run and hide. Jonah learned it in the belly of a great fish. The psalmist David learned it in despair. Francis Thompson learned it when he had fallen so low he had to reach up to touch bottom. You can't run from God's presence. There's no place that far. And maybe you're just tired of trying. Maybe we can learn it at the Lord's table tonight. His presence is with us. He is here, symbolized by the broken bread and the poured out vine. This observance calls us to remember that we can never escape his presence no matter how hard we try because we can come and meet him now at his table. Let's bow together. Father, as we come now around your table, some of us here tonight are running just as fast as we can from you. And it's not that you have to chase us because you're already where we're running to. <laughs> you're in front of us. Wherever we turn, however fast or slow or even if we backtrack, you're there because you're already everywhere. So we might as well quit trying and cast ourselves in your arms of grace and just say, Lord, we need you. I knew you would come. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.